Hey, welcome to Lakeview Sermon of the Week. We're so grateful to have you here, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. God is so good. He's so good. So, so good. Oh, man. All right, we're going to be looking at Galatians um, chapter 2. We might get into Luke 18 as well. Um, the study has just been, been really helpful uh, for me because I think it, what can happen is there's a lot of good things that we can get focused on. And sometimes when we get focused on good things, we miss the God thing, that he's the center of it all. And Galatians just strips away everything we would call good and gets our eyes back on Jesus. Like, like that's what Galatians is addressing. Paul is addressing this church that um, has allowed some things to come in that they've tried to add to Jesus. Uh, how many of you know you don't add anything to Jesus? Jesus is Jesus all by himself. And he's the Savior. He is just it. And so we can even dump good things, good behaviors, things that are, that are, that are is good advice. And sometimes what happens is when we lump that into uh, there in our Christian walk, we can sometimes think that that is the basis of our salvation or that Jesus plus these things is the basis of our salvation. And so what Paul is trying to do is to get this Galatian church in which he planted to get them back to the heart of what everything's about. And the heart of what everything's about is about Jesus. Okay? It's just all about him. And what we behold is what we'll become. So if you're beholding Jesus, guess who you're going to look like? You're going to look like Jesus. If you're beholding something else... You're going to end up looking like that thing that, that you're beholding, that you're looking at. And I think that's why the, the Bible is, is always, there's always this central issue, let there be no image before me. Why? Because whatever image you look at, that's the image that you're going to start looking like. And so we're made in the image of? God. Yeah. So we better be looking at? God. If we're going to be in our right image, right? Right? So, so Paul is saying, let's strip all this other stuff aside. And get back to the basics. What is the basics? It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. So like, y'all know how it is, man. You, when you got saved, man, you was excited. And did anybody get, when you got saved, feel like, it felt like you were walking on air? Now, if you haven't been born again, you won't know what I'm talking about. But we'll give you a chance here at the end of this. But, I mean, didn't you feel like, I mean, you went down to the altar and you felt like your shirt pocket was dragging pea gravel. And then you got down there, you laid your sins down, and you really didn't know what was going to happen, did you? You were embarrassed to get up in front of everybody, do the walk of shame, Right? Does anybody need to get their heart right with the Lord? I'm like, oh, man, yeah. You did the walk of shame. You're burdened with sin. You're ashamed. The devil's playing mind tricks with you saying, everybody's going to laugh at you. 
They're going to know how bad you did and what you did. And you fought through all that. You stood to your feet. The good ones give a process. They go, every head bowed and every eye closed. No one looking around. I wonder if the Apostle Paul did that. Do you think the Apostle Paul did that? I think he said, get your rear up here and get your life together. But every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around. Slip up that. I see that hand. I see that hand. Okay. Now, if you raise your hand, stand to your feet right where you're standing. We're not going to embarrass you, which is a lie. We're not going to embarrass you. Come on. Then they stand up and say, now, if you're standing, make your way down to these altars. You know? And so then you do the thing. If you're lucky, somebody comes down with you, bears it with you. When I got saved, I was the only one at the altar. I was at Malvern. And I was sitting about right here with Mom. We were second row folk. And uh, so I got up and uh, went to the altar, had my spot. Does anybody got a spot at, your, at a church where you, you got your spot? I have a spot. And it was somewhere in relation to here. And so I went down and made my spot there. And it wasn't anything but pretty. It was tears, mucus. Then you had some ladies getting the do and pray the devil out of me. And so I got up, my shirt was to the side, my hair's up, my eyes were red, and I was snot everywhere. <laughs> Tissue boxes out on the side of the altar I was at. Uh, man. And I thought, man, when I was down there after I figured, I said, man, hopefully more people responded. This was on a Sunday night, so you know there's like 10 people there. Maybe I'm not the only sinner here tonight. And got up, and I was the only sinner there that night. And made it back over to my seat. And, but I remember feeling so heavy. I actually had a fear when I was there. I had a fear that the... Um, you know, you hear people say that, if I walk in there, the roof will fall in on you. I really thought that, like, uh, this is going to be, if I'm in here, this could be bad for y'all other people here that are here. Because y'all don't know what I've done, what I'm dealing with. And, and just feeling weighted. And then when I came down, and this was, was, was crazy about the time that I got saved. Because um, generally, Sunday nights was either Jesus coming back or they turned the air off and made it hot and preached a sermon on hell. <laughs> Sunday nights was rapture, hell, or Holy Ghost throwdown. That's what Sunday night was. And it, so it was either going to get weird, going to get hot, or uh, it's going to be scary. <laughs> and I said, oh, man, Sunday night service? Oh, my gosh. And I was just burying myself for it. Pastor preached, Jesus is a strong tower that if you run into it, you'll be safe. <laughs> I'm glad he listened to the Lord because I don't know that I would have responded to the other ones. I was so broken. And uh, so, yeah, that was my story. And I remember feeling so heavy, but then after I got up from the altar, I had a lot of demons to face, a lot of devils to face, a lot of habits to address. 
But man, I felt like just a weight had been lifted from my chest. And uh, you know what the church is pretty good about? The weight that you left at the altar, they're pretty good about putting the weight back on you. <laughs> so I left pretty free, but it wasn't long till I got to get the rules of what it is to be a Christian now, Mr. Matthew. <laughs> so, uh, you know, you got to, if you're going to be a Christian, be saved. Oh, man, you better loosen that up, my, my, my guy. Well, you know, as a Christian, I can't smoke cigarettes. What kind of Bible you got? Oh, my. Oh, well, you are out there. Uh, but if you didn't, read the right kind of Bible. You chew tobacco? Of course. Yeah, can't chew, do that. Oh, and you can't date girls that chew either. So, I've got to tell you. Oh, no, no rated R movies except for Passion of the Christ. You can, you can watch that. Um, um, no alcohol. Put that in here. Um, what else? Um, let's see here. Oh, hey, you, you witness of it? Oh, you you don't witness? No, okay. You need to start witnessing to people. Okay. Or you're not saved if you don't. Um, uh, you're going to have to do daily Bible reading. Every time the offering bag comes. Uh, sorry, Shannon. Every time the offering bag comes. Better have something to put in there. Uh, oh, wait. Uh, you Christian music only. You know that, right? And if you do all that... You're saved. That is called cultural Christianity. That is not called real Christianity. Okay? Now, everything I put in his backpack is a good thing. It's not bad. But when we live in the light of this is what is keeping me saved or this is what makes me saved... What happens is, is I start getting prideful about how heavy my backpack is. And then I start comparing with other people how big my backpack is compared to theirs. And then a church starts to get divisive because they start getting backpack envy. So we took a good thing and we turned it into a bad thing. A bondage. Something that's good advice turns into being what we're trusting. And then when the burden gets too heavy to bear and they stumble, do you know what the church does? We shoot our wounded. I knew he couldn't make it. I thought his, his, his experience wasn't real. And we eat our own. Cannibals. The body of Christ. But what Jesus does is Jesus takes the backpack, takes, oh my gosh, and uh, pretend there's no stones removed from here. 
And Jesus takes the back. How many zippers this thing got? There we go. He takes the backpack from us and then says, I'll bear the backpack. Now you follow me. And so when we're navigating things, now is, if he's following Jesus, is he going to be doing anything he's not supposed to be doing? But is he bearing the weight of it? No. So his whole focus is on staying in step with Jesus, following Jesus. And so this is the gospel of Apostle Paul is, follow me, why? So let's give Jesus the backpack, stay in step with him, and allow his finished work that he bore on the cross to be the thing that motivates and gives us the ability to live this thing out. And, uh, and so, so that's really what Paul's trying to do here in Galatians is, thanks man, uh, that's what he's trying to do here in, in Galatians is he's saying, remember when we got the backpack of sin off? Let's not put the backpack of the law back on. Because isn't church funny? We're, we're, church is the only place where everybody's a doctor and nobody's a patient. Have you noticed that? But church in reality is where nobody's a doctor and everybody's the patient. So if Satan can't drag you back into gross sin, you know what he'll do? He'll put a big old backpack of law on you and create a standard that you can't live up to until he breaks you down and you fall drastically and hard and then you're ashamed and you're so it's not a sin of it's not a shame of of this gross sin it's a shame that I couldn't bear the weight and then Christianity instead of becoming this life-giving spiritual motivating thing it becomes this drudgery and so we start yeah, I guess I'll go to church or yes I guess I'll pray or yeah I better read my Bible because God if that's your motivation God doesn't want it Matter of fact, it's going to do a counter thing to you because you're going to think you did something and that pleased God when in fact you didn't. That your motivation cannot be duty. Not with the things of the Lord. Now, does that mean you always feel like reading your Bible? No. And sometimes you've got to put in some disciplines to help you. But if you're thinking because you're doing things like that that you're earning something with God or gaining something with Him... You're going to get prideful, and you're going to start to look at other people who are doing less, and you're going to start to, my backpack's bigger than theirs, or, well, I'm not as bad as them, or, and you just get into this really toxic thing, this really toxic environment, and then what you'll do is, when you mix Jesus with what you're doing, and you think that's your salvation, here's what you'll end up doing. When something doesn't go your way, you'll think God's indebted to you. Now you're the entitled child that should have got something that they didn't get, and now you've pulled God into your debt instead of realizing that you're in His. I'm trying, man. I'm trying. I'm giving it my best up here. So if the backpack's off, now, now here's, here's where the grace message gets crazy. Because I know everything I put in the back, the older generation just said, Oh, don't tell them that. They're going to go crazy. 
Don't let them be that free. Don't you know who they are? Here's the issue. All right, Zach, get up here. You're going to be Jesus this time. Because this is too heavy. <laughs> yeah. Did we, well, hey, we'll get some polyurethane on there. All right. So, when Jesus takes the load, the backpack, okay, I can't do this. Whew, thanks, Jesus, for taking that load off. Now I'm just a free sinner is all I am. I'm just a lawless, crazy, out-of-control guy. So when Jesus takes the backpack, i got to follow him. And, and here's what salvation is. This is salvation in its essence. Because Jesus says, if you want to follow me, he who follows me, you got to what? Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. What's your cross? To follow the cross. That's your cross. That's your cross. So if I'm, when he takes the backpack and I'm going with him, is he going to do something outside of that backpack? Mm-mm. And so as I'm following Jesus, I'm going to do everything in that backpack just as a rule, as a law unto my own heart because I'm imitating what I'm seeing. But as soon as I stop following, I start to say, you know, hey, I kind of like this freedom thing. You know, I think I got this. I don't think I actually need to follow him anymore. It won't be long till that backpack's going to be right back on me. And I'm going to start to do things and think I'm going to be able to control this and control that. And I'm going to keep putting it, putting it, putting it, putting it. And it won't be long. I'm going to be back with the backpack. So the key to keep this backpack thing off of you and to live right, because how many of you know without holiness, nobody's going to see the Lord? We have to stay lock and step with Jesus. So there's this balance going on here. And Paul is, is addressing a balance over on this side. Uh, but there's a balance over here on an extreme on this side. So when it comes to the grace message, we can preach it radically. Because if Jesus is at the center of it, we're going to try to be like Jesus. If he's not and it's just like, do whatever you want, you can't earn your salvation. Well, Jesus isn't at the center of that. That's another kind of message. That's not the gospel message. The gospel message is a response to bow a knee to King Jesus and say, you're the Lord of my life, and now I'm following you, and whatever you say, I'm going to do. Like, that's the gospel response. Anything outside of that is not a gospel response. And this is what you've seen a lot of times. Sometimes people come to the altar, and they just pray the guilt and shame off, and then go sit back down. But Jesus never became the Lord of their life. So they cry enough to feel better, but then leave and don't change. Because they didn't make Jesus the Lord of their life. So, so, so we can't be afraid of the grace message because it's the only thing that frees us. It's the only thing that keeps us humble. It's the only thing that keeps us from thinking we're earning our salvation. But we can't get it twisted and move Jesus out of the center of it. Otherwise, we just have fleshly Christians. They're doing whatever they want to do, and they're blaming grace for the reason that they're sinning. And so Paul's addressing both of these realities. One of them's called antinomianism, and that's where, oh, I'm saved by grace. So I'll do whatever I want to do. The other is asceticism, and that's just a big word that says, I'm going to beat myself up enough to where God's going to be impressed, and then he'll smile on me. And because I'm so disciplined, God's going to be happy, and, 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 you know, and he's going to save me. 
Both of those two realities, evil, demonic, twisted. Why? Because Jesus is not the center. In this side, Jesus isn't enough. On this side, Jesus isn't even considered. He's just the one that is this pitiful being that died on a cross and paid for my sins and I never think about him again. This one over here is, is the Jesus that's not enough and didn't do enough to actually pay for the price of my sin. So you see here, we're trying to find a balance and Paul is pulling them into balance with who Jesus is. And so this is kind of what, what we see kind of playing out. Thank you, Mr. Bagpack, Jesus guy. Yeah. Yeah, I always thought Jesus had the flowing hair, but that's a... Well, what? It ain't always like you think. Yeah. He's a bald oaky. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is another thing that I think Galatians gets us to the heart of. Jesus didn't purchase your sin. He purchased you. He paid for your sin, but he didn't buy your sin. He doesn't want that. You know what he wants? He wants you. He wants to love on you. He wants to send his spirit to help and guide and lead you. So it's not just this transactional pay for kind of thing, right? If that's it, we just made a business deal with God and we can walk away. You get my sin? Oh, whew, thank you. All right, paid my bill. I'm out of here. Got my ticket. Got my baptism certificate. I'm good, right? So he pays my debt, but he pays for me. That it's always going to be relational, not just transactional. Does that make sense? If it's transactional, here's what I'll do. I'll always try to figure out what I can do and still make it to heaven. And I hate that. I hate as a pastor getting asked the question, can I do this and still go to heaven? I'm like, bro, I'm not Holy Ghost, man. Are you convicted by it? You're talking to me about it. So you obviously, anything not done from faith is sin. So it sounds like you're not at ease. So I'm not going to be Holy Ghost and tell you, yes, you're okay. We'll say work out your own salvation through fear and trembling. But what Paul's message does is it keeps us from living on the outskirts to seeing what we can get away with. And it pulls us to the center and says, I just want to fall in love with Christ. And I just want him to be the center of it all. And when he's the center of it all, I found it to be a lot easier to be obedient. Matter of fact, you'll be living out the law and you won't even know it. Because it becomes natural. The supernatural becomes natural. Somebody come up to you and say, man, I saw you do this, that, and the other. You said, I did? Hmm. Wow, I must be changing. Because <laughs> God does such a good job at it, it almost becomes a part of us. Because we're new creatures in him. So Paul had started off with these Christians, with these Galatians who had become Christians, in such a beautiful way and they'd let somebody slip in and put the backpack back on them 
And instead of sin, they started saying, well, yeah, Jesus is good, but you better mix in some law in there too, brother. Because we all know how bad you are. So the Galatian church that was free and full of the Spirit now has a bagpack back on. And instead of sin, it's traditions and laws and things of that nature. That God would have us have Jesus at the center of everything that we do. You ever wondered, this time I wondered, you know, Jesus died right in the middle of his prime. I mean, 30 years of preparation for three years of ministry. I mean, and changed the world. (laughs) That's pretty cool. I thought, why didn't he die when he was 60 or 50 or couldn't he have just kept living on, you know, a little bit long? And I feel like the Lord was taken in his prime so that he could walk the rest of his life out through you and me. He said, yeah, I can die in my prime because through the Holy Ghost, my body will walk the rest of this thing out for years and years and years and years and years. That Jesus is uh, wanting to walk his life out through you. So the Galatians were making relationships transactional to pay to be loved. And there's only one profession that pays for love. And that's not the bride of Christ. So you put yourself in the seat. You think about Jesus on the cross. Think about seeing that. God on the cross. God become flesh on the cross. Manifested in the flesh on the cross. And then you're going to try to add something to that. Like how prideful do you have to be? To try to add something to that. To say that what I've done is more powerful than what you did. So this is the brass tacks right here. Are you ready? Is what you've done, good or bad, more powerful than what God did? And how you answer that question determines whether or not you're in the faith or not. Yeah, it's serious. It's it's serious business to to uh, to Jesus. I think it's also funny. Jesus spoke worlds into existence, but he couldn't speak your salvation. He had to do an act. <laughs> it's like he's like, oh yeah, Milky Way. Oh Jupiter. Oh weird ring planet. Uh, Pluto, oh wait, that's not a planet. Whatever that is now. Um, Worlds, universes, giant stars. Uh, Salvation? Yeah, I'm going to have to become a man and be brutalized on a cross to make a family that's redeemed. That God had to do an act to undo your sordid acts. That God had to do a work to cover up your bad works. It's powerful. (laughs) You ever try, 
I'm just running rabbit trails, but this is just what it is, okay? I think I'm bewitched. Um, You heard somebody talk you into trusting them that they were faithful enough to handle a problematic sin issue thing and them try to convince you that they could do it. Oh, I can handle it because, you know, I, I, got, I got some, I got it. And I'm just like, better men than us have fallen. Like King David, good dude. <laughs> better dude than us, okay? My guy. And he fell. <laughs> the wisest man on the earth, King Solomon. Fail. If you're trying to talk people into how faithful you are as a reason you can handle a situation that your Christian brothers and sisters are saying, stop, don't do that. It's pride manifesting in a way that's appealing to your faithfulness, not the faithfulness of Jesus. And you better trust your Christian community or you'll wind up And if it's a good Christian community, they won't say, I told you so. They'll be there to love you. But in our hearts, we'll be like, I told you so. Yeah. It's a serious business. So we can't take any matter lightly when it comes to the things of God. Don't tell me how you're going to handle something and practice moderation. Because for every time you practice moderation, I can tell you five times you didn't and you messed up. Walk in step with Jesus, man. Be so consumed with Jesus that the pitiful, sinful things are just just like, oh. What's that? The things of earth go strangely down. <laughs> in the light of your wonderful face. Like, when did Jesus just quit becoming good enough to shun everything else? Like, so I think this is where Paul's trying to get at. What, what is our basis of salvation? So, so what's Paul facing here? Paul is facing a group of Jews that have came to Christ but want to come to Christ and, and add the law with Christ. So they're saying Jesus plus the works of the law equals justification, equals being declared righteous, equals being saved. And so why is this going on? Well, the problem is, is Rome. Rome has been an oppressive empire and the Jews have within their framework, within their theology is always about the Jewish kingdom setting itself back up on earth and being the hub for where everything else goes out. So you can't really blame them for the way they were feeling, the way they were thinking. I mean, being entrenched for thousands of years that Um, you were going to rise up and that you were going to be the place where the Messiah came and that God was going to defeat all the enemies and and through this place in Jerusalem, everything was going to be, (coughs) a rule was going to be taking place and they were looking for the Messiah to set up this kind of kingly rule, this kind of kingly rule. So you can't really blame them for, for, for falling into this, into this trap because when Jesus comes the first, when Jesus comes the second time, that's going to happen. By the way, He's going to come set up His kingdom and and so on and so forth. The first time He came, He had to prepare a people for the kingdom. 
So he had to be the sacrificial lamb to take away the sins of the world so that he could have a family of people that would rule and reign with him in order to, to have the agenda of God come out onto the earth. So when they were looking for a Messiah, they're looking for somebody to kick Rome out of there. And Jesus is saying, Rome's not the problem. You are. And so people are saying, so there's confusion coming up about how the Messiah was going to look and what the Messiah was going to look like. So they're thinking, okay, Jesus has come. We, we believe that, but we can't lose our customs that we practiced for thousands of years. And uh, we got to know who's on our side because if Rome rises up, I need to know who's on my side. So what can we look for to see who's really on my side or not? Ah, I've got it. Circumcision. That'll show us who's really in and who's not. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's what I said. So imagine, here's the gospel message. You know, Jesus died for you and bled for you and loves you, has a wonderful plan for your life. And there's this other part. <clears throat> I need to know whose side you're on, Zach. <laughs> this is serious. This is what they were preaching to people. I know it's funny and comical in our society, but if you were back there, you wouldn't, if somebody's coming at you with the gospel, hey, come here. It's like, that ain't the gospel, that's a scalpel. <laughs> but see, they were trying to see how serious you were, how tough you are. Are you really on our side or are you going to be on Rome's side, you Gentiles? We got to know who's on our side and who's not. And this is how we're going to do it. So instead of people coming to you with the scars of Jesus, they're trying to cut you and put scars on you and get you to trust those scars. Hmm. So Paul says, mm-mm. No, I birthed that church. You knife guys, Y'all get up out of here. Don't touch the pure thing that God did in that place in Galatia. So Paul calls these people the Judaizers. And so it became a test to see if you were on Rome's side or if you were on the Jews' side. So when these people slipped in after Paul left, Paul writes Galatians back to them as kind of a follow-up. Uh, Galatians chapter 2, verse 15. He says, We are Jews by birth, not Gentile sinners, yet we know that no one is justified by the works of the law, but by faithfulness of Jesus Christ. And we have come to believe in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by the faithfulness of Christ, not by works of the law. Because by the works of the law, how many will be justified? So the term for Paul here in these verses to justify or justification is, is uh, the kaisune, which is a legal or forensic term. It basically means to, uh, to acquit or to declare not guilty. 
So Paul is saying that by faith in Christ, you are declared not guilty of the sins that you have committed. Not guilty. Declared righteous. So that if a court case could be brought up against you, Zach, God would say, declared righteous. Justified just as if I never sinned. Wow. Makes you wonder if why when James says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. How many has been in a trial? Let's just get anybody. I've been in a trial. I'll just be honest with you. Did you count it all joy? You know why you didn't count it all joy? Because you were guilty. So God says you can count it all joy now because you're not guilty. The only way you can declare a trial as joyful is if you're not guilty. That's why in Romans 5 he says, man, don't trip when all this stuff's happened to you, man. Let, let that thing produce perseverance and perseverance hope and hope character. And none of this disappoints because I've poured my love into your heart. That when you're going through a trial, it's not because you're guilty. It's because God's trying to do some soul shaping sometimes and it's just the way it happens. So you can count it all joy when you're going through a trial if you're in Christ. Why? Because you're not guilty. You're not guilty. The glove don't fit. That was just humor. Verse 7. But if while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have also been found to be sinners. Is Christ then one who encourages sin? Paul doesn't even let us answer that. (laughs) Absolutely not. (laughs) He's like, don't put your two cents here, okay? So we have this picture here of where Paul's saying, I'm not saying that just to go run wild with sin to show that grace may abound, as he says in Romans. He says that the true encounter that you've encountered, the grace of God, is that you've been empowered to walk in the power of the Spirit and say no to sin. Titans 2 is this, that the grace of God produces the holiness of God. That grace is the energizer that helps us walk in less sin. Uh, How many of you ever sinned and you ask God to forgive you, but you beat yourself up for like a week? And then your whole relationship with God is consumed with keep asking him for forgiveness, right? Somebody like, hey, man, I need some help. No, no, no. I'm praying for forgiveness over here. Oh, okay. <laughs> God can't talk to you. He can't whisper. He can't put nobody in your path. Why? Because you're... Because in our carnal minds, we think that we can add to the cross. And so we beat ourselves up for a week until we feel like God's pleased with how, how many bruises and bumps we've given ourselves. And then we walk away and like, okay, God, I'm ready to talk to you again. But see what we're doing there? We're acting like we're controlling everything as if we're God. No, God, you can't talk to me until I've done beating myself up. Then I'll come talk to you. We put ourselves in the place of the one who sacrificed himself for us. I remember I used to sin and I would get so mad at myself. I'd look in the mirror and I'd punch myself in the face. 
I know it's weird. You probably want to vote me out now, but you just have to, <laughs> have to get with the deacons. No, because I was so disgusted with sin. I punched myself in the face in the mirror. And I thought, man, God must be really proud that I'm punching myself because I messed up. And the bottom line is, that didn't add one thing to what Jesus did. Anything, just my jaw got sore for a couple days. Now, I love the fact that I was hating sin so bad. But if I'm hating sin so bad, I just got to put that thing on the altar, give it to God and step away and say, God, you knew what you got into when you first called me. And so here it is. Help me. And just surrender to him. I thought it was crazy. I told that story in a recovery meeting. I said, who else has done that? Everybody raised their hand that they had done that. I thought, oh, I'm not alone. Cool. Some people cut themselves. Tommy Tenney told me a story about this country he would go to to where the Christians would climb up a mountain if they had sinned. During a holy holiday, they would wear uh, no, no, no pants and they would crawl up this mountain on their knees, whipping themselves the whole way up. And would go up and down until they were just whipped bloody backs and bloody knees. And he thought that was pleasing God. He said he just wanted to grab them and say, you don't have to do that. So this is what Paul is kind of coming against. Because it might start small, but if you let that thing go, you'll add another tradition, another law, another thing, another thing, another thing, another thing, another thing. For too long, you've got so much laws, you can't even obey your own laws that you put into place. But are under the impression that you're holy because of them. And then it becomes a tradition and a culture and then once it becomes a culture, whoo, possible to break just about. So Paul's coming in at this first step and says, whoa, 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 we're going to stop that right here because I know where this goes. It goes to where I was before Jesus, and it's called Judaism. And that's where I killed Christians. Is this okay? Yeah. I hope so. I'm trying to, I just want to help you. Verse 18, but if I build up again those things I once destroyed, I demonstrate that I am the one who breaks God's law. So it's not that Jesus doesn't want us to be moral, but it's that if I have faith in Jesus, Jesus is faithful Israel. So if I have faith in Jesus, I'm in faithful Israel too. That Jesus' life is retracing the steps of Israel. That Jesus, just like Israel, comes out of Egypt, right? Goes into the Red Sea, is baptized, goes into the wilderness for how many days? To represent what? 40 years in the wilderness of unfaithfulness. That he becomes the lamb, <laughs> the Passover lamb. He is imitating Israel to say there's a new Israel in town and if you put your faith in me that's how to become true Israel yeah 
That's why John calls the synagogues in the book of Revelation the synagogues of Satan. He don't mince words. Why? Because if it don't have Jesus, it ain't Israel. Now, God's got a plan for Israel, and he's going to hold his word for Israel. But if you think what's going over there right now is pure Israel, if it ain't in Jesus, it ain't it. How, how, how more, can you get more Jewish than Jesus? I don't think you can. I think he's the ultimate Jew. <laughs> And that's who you're following. So when we unite ourselves to Jesus, we are grafting ourselves into the blessing of Abraham. Yeah. Yeah. So Jesus is trying to bring them back to the reality through Paul that just because you're by grace through faith, doesn't mean you divorce ties with, it, with Israel. <laughs> that Jesus is faithful Israel and he's the only one that's ever been faithful. And that if you put your faith in him, you come under that same blessing. Verse 19, for the law I died, for, th- for though I, the law I died to the law, for through the law, sorry I can't read, for through the law I died to the law so that I may live to God. So is the law bad? No, it's not bad. But the law really only slows down wickedness. Um, case in point. When they put 50 miles an hour on the speed limit sign, what do you do? It becomes your basis to go a little bit more, right? So you start there and say, that's a nice suggestion. I'm going 59. Because if I go 60, I'll get pulled over. But 59, I'm still in the 50s. So do you see what the law did? The law slowed down. What if there's no sign? Lawlessness. Craziness. So the law doesn't stop sin. The law is just a suggestion of, hey, let's slow it down a little bit. So Jesus comes in and says, I'm going to obey every bit of the law. And I'm not going to abolish it. I'm going to fulfill it. And if you put your faith in me, it's as if you fulfilled every bit of the law. Yeah. So this is where Paul's trying to go with this. Verse 20, and I've been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Wow. Okay, so he turned it. Remember, it was declared righteous. It was this kind of court pronouncement. Now he makes it personal. I've been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Now it's become relational. So the life I now live in the body, I live because of the faithfulness of me. I live because of the faithfulness of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So here Paul speaks of Christ in me which is enabling him to live the kind of life he previously couldn't. So justification has this declaration, this moral thing that where it says you're not guilty, but then Jesus takes you with him 
in the Spirit on the cross and crucifies your old nature with him. Then lives in you to live with your new nature to impart to you what it is to be like him. So Paul says, yeah, you've been declared not guilty, and then I'm in you to help you walk this thing out in reality. So it's not just positional truth. It's reality that he's imparting on the inside of us. So when we accept Christ, he gives us his righteousness. But when he lives us, lives in us, he begins to impart his life in us little by little by little till we start to begin to actually look like Jesus and live like Jesus. So why does he declare us non-guilty and then doesn't do it all in one, one blow? Well, it's the same reason why he doesn't show you how wicked you are all in one time. He illuminates little things at a time. You ever say, oh, God, show me how wicked I am. It's like, if I did that, you would go into the darkest depression you've ever seen in your life. You better let me shine a little bit here and a little bit there. And that God would do it in a process. Why? Well, I think he wants to walk in us in relationships. Do you just meet somebody and go, hey, pal, let's, get, uh, let's be best friends. That's weird. That's bizarre. Relationships flourish and grow and are nurtured, have misunderstandings, have different wills competing. If you're married, you said amen. amen. Yeah. Hopefully your wife wasn't there. That relationship would unfold with Christ in me as he illuminates the things in my life that I need to get out. So he would do it in a process to where I'd be increasingly transformed so that over time I would inquire imparted righteousness as well as imputed. So we're treated not only as we've never sinned, why? So that we can stay in the relationship. So Jesus pays for all your sin all at once, why? Because he's got to walk this thing out with you. So he pays for all of it, but then works it out in reality a little bit at a time. And sometimes a lot at a time. Um, some people have radical encounters. Other people struggle with stuff for 10 or 20 years. And it's just what it is. Everybody's got their own walk and how it looks. And, you know, sometimes I'm like, God, would you just snap your fingers and make me like you and we could just be done with this thing? But he's like, you know, I could do that, but then you wouldn't get to see how merciful, how gracious, how beautiful, how wonderful, how long-suffering, how patient, how kind, and how... Because when I see those virtues in God, guess what, the, guess what virtues get worked out of me? Patience, kindness, gentleness. It's all get worked out in that kind of way. Verse 21, we do not set aside God's grace because if righteousness could come through the law, then Christ died for nothing. Chapter 3, this is my favorite part of the whole book. I know, I'm demented. You foolish Galatians, who has cast a spell on you? Before your eyes, Jesus Christ was vividly portrayed as crucified. Wow. It's that Paul preached Jesus in such a way they actually saw Jesus on the cross. 
Let me preach like that. Whereas I'm preaching, just Jesus on the cross, just, oh my gosh. That Paul's preaching was under such power in the spirit. They visibly saw Jesus on the cross. Foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you in some versions? The idea is, in the Greek there is, uh, you ever heard the evil eye? Somebody gives you the evil eye? When in antiquity there was this thing where if somebody could cast a spell on you and give you the evil eye. So he says, who's put an evil eye on you? Why? Because the one that came and laid down the beautiful gospel message that was so powerful that you tangibly saw someone dying on a cross as I was preaching, you're now looking at him with an evil eye thinking he's trying to come in and mess things up. You ever walk something out with somebody? And then them drift off, and then they look at you with the. Yeah, right. You're right. Like you're the problem. And you want to say, don't you remember that time we prayed all night? We fought the devil together. Don't you remember when that burden of sin got lifted and we rejoiced down in the altars together? Don't you remember when you had no one else to call? And you called me and we prayed all night long until you got the victory. But that's what sin does. It makes you look through a lens of guilt. And the same one that bought liberty, they're now looking at with an evil eye. And Paul's saying, who has bewitched you? Because who loves you more than me? Who loves you more than me? That's what I'm going to say to my kids sometimes. They won't listen to me. And I say, who loves you more than me? Who's got your interests at heart more than me? But immaturity always sees that as you're trying to limit me. I can get circumcised if I want, Brother Paul. You just don't want me to be more spiritual than you. That's what it is. See, that's the audacity that this kind of attitude does. It makes you think you're more spiritual than the Apostle Paul. Is this okay? I know. We got we to quit. The kids workers are like, well, this guy shut up and get out of here. I get it. I get it. See, religion wants to come at you with a knife and says, where are your scars? Christianity wants to come and say, look at Jesus' scars. Verse 2, the only thing I want to learn from you is this. Did you receive the Spirit by doing works of the law or by believing what you heard? When you made that walk down the aisle, did you, was God like, oh my gosh, I'm so impressed with the quality of your life and how well you've lived. 
I'm about to just pour the Spirit down on you. Or did you just go down with a, a, a wing and a prayer and just say, God, if you'll take this life. And he does every time. He does every time. Paul's saying, is this what pleased God in the beginning? See, that's what I love about Galatians. We go back to the first love. We go back to the first things that we did. Before he worked out righteousness in our heart. When we didn't have nothing but to fall upon a God and hope that he was graceful. And Paul says, Galatians, start back there again. Start back to the place where you fell on the altar and where you were thankful and grateful for what I was doing in your life. Were you saved because you had it all together? Or were you saved because you threw yourself at the feet of King Jesus and found him mighty to save? Yeah. Verse 3, are you so foolish... Although you begin with the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by human effort? Verse 4, have you suffered so many things for nothing, if indeed it was for nothing? Does God then give you the Spirit and work miracles among you by your doing the works of the law or by believing what you heard? So religion has a sword in its hand. But Jesus, in the book of Revelation, has a sword in his mouth. <laughs> so where should our sword be? The gospel's sharp enough to cut any sin asunder and to divide and to do all that. And if we get more serious about the gospel... God would get more serious among us. If we'd really believe that the gospel saves and heals and delivers, he'd honor that as it comes out of our mouth. Because it's just as sharp as it always was. So I just want to encourage you. Some of you are beating yourself up. Stop. What you did isn't more powerful than what he did. And some of you are puffing yourself up and looking at everybody else as if they're more sinful than you. And Paul would say, stop. Stop. And let's get back to the, where it started. Sinners falling on the feet of a mercy, merciful God who saved us, filled us, healed us, sanctified us, filled us with the Holy Spirit, did miracles among us, worked out all kinds of things we didn't know how we were going to get out of, and you're still standing. <laughs> Why? Because he's that good. Just because he's that good. He's just that good. Jesus, we just, God, we thank you. <laughs> God, we just get right back to the heart of it all. How are we made right with you? Because in faith we just bowed a knee and said, Jesus, I give you my life. <laughs> was there anything we did that impressed you or moved your heart? 
It was just the goodness of God that is so pervasive that if anyone comes to you, you won't turn them away. That a smoldering wick you won't quench and a bruised reed you won't break. (laughs) You'll nurse it back to health. You'll blow on the smoldering wick until it's fanned into a flame again. So God, whether we're broken or puffed up in pride, deflate the prideful, lift up the heavy-hearted and burned. And pick up our heads and put our heads right in your face again. (laughs) And just tell us you love us because that's enough. It's enough. (laughs) Abigail, I got home from, from men's retreat and uh, man, I can be gone from my kids like a day and a half and I feel like, I gotta go see my kids, man. And uh, then when I see them, I'm like, oh yeah, that's why I wanted some space for front of you, but, but you forget in those moments. But I came in the door and I didn't even look at, I just saw Abigail, she's got this thing where she'll be watching TV and she's on the TV stand and she just, she can get on her toes like a ballerina. Like, I'm not talking about like tippy toe, I'm talking about, you know what I mean? Where they're like on, and like bear her whole weight like that. And I'm like, what in the world? Like, are you going to be like the queen of ballet? I'm not sure, but she does that and just gets into her show. But when I came in, she looked at her. I said, daddy needs a kiss. She was the first one I saw. Abigail means the father rejoices. And I go in, I see her, and I'm too far away. I can't really see her. And I go, Abigail, I need a kiss right now. And she turned her face and said, Daddy, that's not coming all down. And she goes. And I said, now's the time to be a good dad. Oh, gosh. Why? Because whether she had snot on her face or not, she's still my daughter. So some of you just need to let God grab your snotty head. And I know you don't want to because you're like, oh, there's snot everywhere. And he's like, yeah, I know. (laughs) And just let him. You know what to worship means? Pros kaneo in the Greek. Pros means to lean in. Kaneo means to kiss. (laughs) Some of you just need to remember what it is to lean in and kiss again. He'll even kiss you through a mask. He ain't tripping. He might even pull it down. Put it back up. Oh, that's a beard. That's not a mask. Sorry, bro. I thought that was a mask. Lean in and kiss. Man. God, we just thank you, Lord, that we just lean in and kiss right now. God, we're kind of nervous about that because it kind of feels weird. Or Is our face clean enough? Uh, Do we look right? And you're just like, no, I'm your dad. I'm coming close. 
And right through that stuff, the muck, the ooze, you just reach in and kiss. And just like you did in Genesis, when the world was out form and it was void, you said, let there be light. And there was light. <laughs> the gospel would come into our hearts in every dark spot that we're scared to let you come in. All you're going to do is come in and say, let there be light. It's scary to be found out, but it's the only way we're healed. So God, right now, just come in and say, let there be light in every dark spot. Thanks for tuning in. Our hope is that these messages will help you on your journey of discovering who Christ is and who you are in Him. You can learn more about our ministry at lvahs.org or follow us on Instagram at lakeview.hs.